You're listening to the Rediscovering Biblical Manhood podcast. We're growing men who fear the Lord, but do not fear their identity in Christ. The enemy is hard at work in our fallen world. So come on, join us in fighting for the restoration of men's hearts through the church, the word, and our risen Savior, Jesus. Happy day. We are back in the booth. All of our listeners, this is a shout out. Chica coming at you right now. Man, Jay, we have just been blessed with a continual listenerhood of us two guys in a booth just rapping about what we want to rap about week to week. Um, And right now we're in the masculinity series. But listeners, we just wanted to really give you a high five. Jay and I were sharing data earlier this week around the podcast and just smiling, saying, who's listening to us? But some of you are, and some of you seem to be passing us off to your friends. So we just thank you for that. Um, and, and we ask that the Lord bless you in your conversations around the conversations that Jay and I have. And um, we hope that this continues to add value to your daily walk with Jesus. We have jumped, uh, listeners, just in case you missed the last few episodes. We're talking about a concept that is not new. You know, Shakespeare talked about it. Many, many psychologists have explored it over the years. And it's this idea of manhood. And as John Eldridge, who we've been pulling from, labels them the six stages of masculinity. And so over the last few weeks, Jay and I have t- talked through the, the, the beloved son. Uh, you should go back and listen to that one. Then we got to the adolescence uh, stage of the cowboy, where we talked about adventure and uh, learning your individuality. And then we talked about the warriors in our 20s and 30s. Uh, Jay, Jay, we had a great conversation last week just about adversaries and seeing the warfare in life and the enemies that come at us. Uh, And today we're stepping into the fourth stage, according to Eldridge, which is still kind of in the 20s and 30s and maybe even beyond. Yeah, the lover is an interesting stage. And I'm going to confess right at the beginning, you know, this will be a challenging conversation, but I hope fruitful. You know, this is a stage I've struggled with, a lot of men struggle with, and we're going to unpack what Eldridge means by the lover. And really what's interesting about this stage is it kind of can start as early as 13, 14, 15 and weave its way through all the way to the end of your life. So it's it's the lover, once you reach it, it goes on, but but it gets stunted. It gets just absolutely stunted in so many men for a lot of reasons we'll talk about. And the loss of the lover, you know, really impacts the other stages and phases of your life. So lover, Jay, I mean, just that label in today's society has many different meanings. Um, I say lover and I start singing a Taylor Swift song in my head. I say lover and I start thinking about TV shows of love. Um, when when you define lover as per the stage of masculinity, uh, I'm surely it's not just sensual loving. No, and that word, that's even an uncomfortable word for a lot of men, right? I mean, the reality is if we take a step back, by and large, you know, the science of men's brains versus women's brains is men are, in general, you know, it's not true of everybody, but in general, men are much more logical, their way their brains are designed, and the the connection between the right brain and the left brain are is smaller, it's thinner than women who have, uh, yeah, I've heard it described as like women have a super highway between the two between the two hemispheres and men have like a game trail, you know, game trails are very small. And so men can easier compartmentalize, be more logical in general, tend to excel more in, in things of that nature. And so when you start getting into the sensuality, I'm glad you used that word, this, the lover stage is about the sensuality of God, the, the lover Mm. heart in God. And that starts to get a little weird for a lot of people and very uncomfortable for a lot of men. 
And, you know, it's, it's, we're going to unpack what Eldridge means by this and, and what people far earlier than Eldridge, right? Again, he's helpfully framed these stages, but he's drawing upon the wisdom of the ages to outline the walk of manhood. And this gets real, this gets real, real sideways for men, but the loss of a fully developed lover in a man um, really leads to a lot of the darkness in the world. So Jay, let's talk about the, the kind of osmosis here between the warrior and the lover. Like, do we run side by side? Does one like completely just pass off to the other and then leaves? I mean, last week we talked about how the warrior is always there. And if we label the key experience of the warrior to be like adversary or um, just seeing the warfare or, or intense training, you know, and, and, and having that adrenaline pumping all the time, when does it move to this lover where the key experience, I guess we could label is like affection. Like you, like you said, like affection to other people, affection to the world, affection towards God first. How does yeah. that work for you? Yeah. What a great question. You know, recognizing this stage of life and embracing it for those men they can literally changes everything. So let's talk about what do we mean by the lover? What do we mean by this phase? Like this is the phase of life where suddenly a man, a boy, a teenager, a young man in his mid twenties, his late twenties begins to see things differently. Like you're driving down the road and suddenly you see the sunrise differently. It has a different effect upon your heart, right? We experience it generally as men the first time through the beauty, through the woman. Have you ever seen a woman so beautiful? It made your body ache. It made your body, she's so beautiful. It's almost painful to look upon her. And that's different than lust, right? Seeing a woman and lusting is different than ache. Yeah, totally different than lusting. You just look at her and you're like, I mean, it's it's like a good pain, but you almost can't look upon it. Or it's like the first time you're walking in the morning and you just see the world differently, right? And and who who really gets this? Artists, sculptors, poets. It's this turning of your heart to the deeper nature of God. And we talked last week about how God is both male and female, and he's you know, this full embracing of God. Well, God is an artist. God is a lover. I mean, if you've read the Song of Solomon's, and this has troubled the church for ages, right? So we try to take that book of the Bible that we don't know what to do with and make it churchy. Oh, we're really talking about Jesus and his relationship to the church. No, we're not. No, we're not. Read the book. It is about a man and a woman and their deep sexual loving desire for each other. But but what's but the analogy there that I think is a good one is it is the way God loves us and loves the world, which makes us very uncomfortable. But you think about the roaring ocean crashing on the mountainside. Like when you see images like that in person or or you know coming across your desk saver, why does it arrest us? Because God's heart is beauty and love and deep longing and it awakens that in us. That's what we mean by the lover. And a man who begins to see those things, other things start to become less important. And often, like in history, this has been described as a man goes through a dark night of the soul and he awakens to this new vision of the world. He's gone out to the wilderness, you know, Theodore Roosevelt, all these people, John Muir, they've gone out to the wilderness to have their heart restored. What were they looking for? They were looking for the heart of God in themselves and they find it in beauty all around them. And, you know, there's a lot of biblical characters that undergo this transition, none more famous than King David. Wow, Jay, that's a really good picture. And I love that idea of understand oh sorry, awakening your your heart awakening to the sunset. 
you know, every morning I walk and you and I communicate through an app to each other and um, I get to watch the sunrise typically most mornings. And yesterday I was listening to a, uh, here's, a here's a good one. I haven't even shared this with you. I'm listening to a book called Providence right now. And Providence is not a word in the Bible, but this is about Providence of Scripture uh, written by the one, the only John Piper to get some uh, some different authors in there. And uh, he was speaking about sunsets and seeing sunset for the first time and you know when you when you look at the orange matching the blue and the sun coming up and you just sit there in awe and then to think even one deeper to say you know that he's doing that like 24 hours a day for everybody on the earth god isn't somebody that just paints it for you and you awaken one day to see it like his love for us is constant 24 hours a day he is writing it or painting a new sunset as an artist of our lives uh it was it, it shook me when you were just speaking there about seeing it for the first time, Jay. Yeah, Chica, and it's very intimate. And the language of Psalms is so intimate. And this is where it can get real uncomfortable for men. You know, David says, my soul pants for you, God. I mean, that kind of language, you know, I long for you. I, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I'm up all night weeping, God. I'm crying. You know, now David's a battle hardened. Like this guy's hardcore. He's got decades of hand-to-hand combat. He's he's powerful, man. And yet he uses this all through the Psalms, this incredibly intimate language to describe God. And God is using that intimate language back. And this is where a lot of men can get lost. They're a little like, I don't know about that. I remember where this this got damaged for me early in my Christian walk. I was uh, serving in, in a church service. I was at the back of the room uh, working the mic table. And this woman was up on stage and she was talking about how God was the lover of her soul. She was using all this very intimate language, almost, almost sexual in nature, but, but it wasn't inappropriate how she was using it. And I was a little uncomfortable. I was a really young man. I'm like, this is kind of weird. And one of the pastors that was standing next to me at the back of the room says, God, I hate it when people get on stage and talk about God that way. I think it's so unhelpful and blocks all the men in the room. And so that scarred it for me. I was like, yeah, that's, We shouldn't talk about God that way. And yet that is how God describes himself. Jesus says, you are my bride. You are my bride. The church is his bride. I mean, the language of intimacy gets gets skewed. One of the things we talk about with the enemy is he can't create anything. He can only distort. So he takes this language of deep intimacy and beauty and connection and distorts it all to to a sexual connotation in the world today. But, But if you go back and through the whole Old Testament, God is wooing us, men and women. He's God loves us. He's the lover of our soul. And that language gets super uncomfortable for a lot of people, me included. I have had to work hard and I'm still on this journey to allow God into this part of me to develop the lover in me um, because I'm much more comfortable keeping life very transactional. Doesn't help that we live in this world and this world is full of the sexual culture I mean, that's what she said. That's what he said. I mean, we giggle about that all the time. But when you were speaking there, Jay, I was thinking, what is the great command from Jesus to us? You have to love God and love one another. That does not mean anything sexual, right? Mm -mm. And then what is the great commission? Go Go and make disciples of all the world. Teach them to love God. I don't think we can have the great commission without the great command. And in thinking that, right, if we are to love one another, and when we think back to what we talked about last week with the warrior, and we said that if the warrior is this 
intense training in ourselves to, you know, discipline and master the skills and obedience to whatever mission we're on, right? Even to a master or to, to my work or whatever, even to death, this shift into lover I love is, is, is the final, or sorry, is a shift from inward kind of intensive training to outward intensive training. The, the ability, like you said, the awakening to start to see other people and start to want to charge after people in almost like a sacrificial way. And what I love, and I think of the Samaritan story, loving one another, right? Love in this context has no bias. And so we aren't just loving our wives or loving our children. We're loving the person on the street that we don't like. And that is really, really, really uncomfortable for a lot of men, for a lot of people in our circles, because it's just not natural. Where can this get started? Most men first experience the lover through a woman. And I I don't mean through a sexual interaction. I mean, he's going along through his boyhood and play, play, play. And then he's getting into cowboy and play with adventure mixed in. And he's starting to get into warrior. But at some point, he sees a woman differently than he's ever seen. Like before she was girls, ew, yuck, girls, cooties. But there comes a moment in every boy's life where suddenly he notices the woman and it's like, whoa, whoa, hold up a second. Where has this been my whole life? Like, oh my God, breasts and beauty. And all of a sudden the man is captivated. He can think of nothing else. That is through that, that is his first taste of the lover, of the beauty and intimacy of God. Now the design for manhood is to push through that. And then you start to see that depth of love and lover from God through everything, the wilderness, you know, poetry, art, beauty. But but where does it get stunted? Well, think back, men, if you're on this podcast, to your first love. Uh, it can get stunted right away in a couple of different ways in your, in your cowboy slash warrior phase. The first woman you love, you give her yourself to her totally it's all you she's all you can think about i mean there's tons of songs written about that right like like tim mcgraw's got a great song like so many people have great songs about how i just my whole life was transformed i could think of nothing else i would do anything for her wars are launched but then it, it ends badly your heart's broken you make agreements i will never risk for a woman that way i know my first the first woman i ever truly loved you know it ended badly and i handled it badly and it damaged me for years and and I carried some of that in my marriage. I was just far less generous with my wife emotionally. And, and so this thing can start to get stilted and, and broken in those ways. And we have got to go back and begin to ask ourselves the question, like, when did I first begin to see things differently? And then what did I do to block that out or what got damaged? Because healing the lover in you and embracing the lover, it'll change everything about, to your point, Chica, how you treat people, how you pursue people on behalf of God how you treat your wife if you're married, how you treat your children, it will how you interact with the world will 100% change if you're able to reintegrate the lover back into your soul. I just got a little fired up thinking about, man, if anyone was to ever attack my wife or attack verbally or, or physically or intimidate my daughters, I think it's almost like I slipped back into warrior in a lover sense. You think about um, marriage. Marriage is a great picture of how is your lover so let's just let's just use this example as we're winding to a close. If you want to get a good glimpse of how well developed the lover is in you, if you're married or you're dating or you've been married, take a look at your relationship. How are you with your wife? Are you lavishly generous with gifts and your words when she expects it, when she doesn't expect it? How do you make love to your wife? 
Is it generous? Is it giving? Or is it transactional? Are you there to get something for yourself? Is your relationship a tit for a tat? I bought her a ring. I expect to be able to go to the game with my boys without pressure. Uh, I did this for her sexually. I want her to do that for me sexually. I did this cleaning around the house. I expect to get sex. Or I did this cleaning around the house. I expect to get to be able to go do this. Or are you lavishing love? upon her and trying to outgive God in the way you treat her. You won't be able to, by the way, oh, but that's a great example. God. Wow. Yeah. That's how, awesome. do you, how do you treat your children? Are you generous? Are you lavish? How, how does the, how does the Bible say God thinks about and treats you? God is a good gift. Good father gives good gifts. He, he, the, the, the whole story of scripture is about God's incredible pursuit of your heart and the lavish love he wants to dole out upon you. Well, take a look at your own life. Is there any of that in you? Is there any of that in me? And when there's not, what's there? Because what's generally there is selfishness, self-focus, or or the battle is so intense, it's all I can focus on. And when I have time for my people in my life, I just want to get something from them, maybe give them something, but back to the battle. When we get totally consumed by the battle, we lose sight of the lover. I like that you bring that up, Jay. It's almost like the dark side. There's a dark side of the lover too, right? There's. Have you ever seen the great or read the Great Gatsby? Mm. Jay, remember <laughs> back, great, back to like great Daisy, Daisy Buchanan and and Jay's infatuation. Jay, that's funny. Jay in the story of the Great Gatsby's infatuation of Daisy. Like I think that there's that immature lover or the addicted lover, if you will, that kind of sits on the fence and is infatuated by people instead of actively, like you were just saying, pursuing and lavishing. Um, and then I then I almost think that there's an impotent dark side as well. Um, and the impotent, when I say that, it's, it's, it's almost like I'm showing love, but it's still about me, right? So it's almost empty love that I'm giving because it's not quite love that I'm throwing at you. It's 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 manipulation to lure you in to give back to me, like you were saying. Um, am I doing it just for for what I want? Um, so I think that it's important too that as we continue to walk through these, that our listeners, the encouragement I guess is that there are kind of warning signs too around these different stages of masculinity. I mean, again, this warrior and lover dance, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I think that the warning sign, and Jay, please let's look back for a second for a warrior. Um, if we, if we say, and we know what the warrior is, that the warning signs for the warrior have to be like this, no fight, this, uh, no understanding of risks, you know, not, not clearly understanding what mission or, or fears that I have. It's almost like a failure to launch. Whereas for me, the lover and the failure on the lover side is some of the things we've mentioned already, not having empathy, um, turning my nose up and saying, well, just going to, it's going to take too much time. Um, it's too much effort and, and there's no leaning into really wanting the other, to, other side to succeed when I'm trying to show love. Yeah. I think that's so well said, you know, Eldridge has a, a chapter in the book that we're kind of going through in these stages. And he said, he says it like, he recaps what you're saying, Chica, sort of like this at the end of his chapter on the lover, learning to be loved and learning to love, learning to be romanced and learning to romance. That is what this stage is all about. Not duty, not merely discipline, but an awakening of our hearts to the beauty and love of God. And at the same time, we cannot wait until sometime later. We offer our hearts as well to God, to the women in our lives, to our sons and daughters, to others. As you said, Chica, about pursuing the world. 
This is a love story after all, as William Blake said, and we are put on earth a little space to learn to bear the beams of love, or in Paul's words, be imitators of God and live a life of love. That's from Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And Eldridge ends the chapter by saying, he is a great romancer, he, God, and you shall be also. And that is really what the stage is about, because when you become someone who learns to be a lover of yourself and of others and of God, and, and you, you fall into intimacy with God, into relationship with God, right? Not, not I, I pray, I'm a good man, I'm a dutiful. No, I, I have an intimate, loving, personal relationship with God. And then that pours out all over the place. Well, that is a truly different kind of man, very rare in today's society. And oftentimes when we meet him, we push him to the side. Eldridge says, oh, we call that guy a mystic. Oh, that's a little weird. He's kind of far away. He's different. And the reality is, actually, he's just he's just reflecting what the normal Christian life is supposed to be. And if you're a Christian, Jay, that was so well said. If you're a Christian, wow, you, you cannot have the Great Commission without the Great Command. And so as we wrap up this week, I'm going to encourage the listeners to dive back into Scripture. Jay just mentioned Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and I'm also going to encourage you and throw at you James 2, chapter 2, James 2, chapter 2 there. So listeners, as we wrap up this week, thank you again for tuning in. I'm going to pray us out, Jay, and then we look forward to next week, the second last stage of masculinity in this journey that I cannot wait to dive into with you. Heavenly Father, we pause today. And we just ask that you send your spirit wherever we are to nudge us so that we can reflect on our lover, our sense of love towards you, our sense of love towards the world, our sense of love to each other. Lord, continue to nudge us to look to what love is in our life. And we ask that as we try on different modes this week, Lord, you just send your spirit to protect us as well as love us through trying to love you. We say all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And to capstone it, as Psalm 57, 8 says, awaken my soul. Amen.